Well, good morning, everyone. No, uh, Pastor John did not all of a sudden become older and uglier. He just got desperate and scraped the bottom of the barrel and asked me to come and, uh, and pinch hit for him this morning. And uh, I know what you're thinking right now. It's like, seriously, dude, khakis? Really? Okay, look, a couple of things. Number one, I always wondered why my grandfather wore the same clothes all the time. And now that I'm older, I get it. You know, it's like just one less thing, all right? Plus, here's what I know. Khakis, they're going to come back, okay? I'm just waiting for it, all right? And when they do, I'll be the trendsetter, all right? So you guys, you guys will be wearing them again. Just, just trust me on that, all right? Hey, um, let me see if I'm in the middle here. There we go. Don't want to throw anybody off. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and go to Pokagon, right? I mean, man. Have you ever seen the colors so, so colorful? The, the trees are just so beautiful right now. Thank you, Lord, for your creation. Hey, um, fill in this phrase for me, if you will. When the going gets tough, the what? Let me ask you something. Is that true? Is that true? I mean, I'd like to think it is, and yet... I have to admit, I know far too many people who have given up when the going has gotten tough. Given up on their dreams. They've given up on maybe their relationships. They've given up on sometimes themselves. I know some really, really tough people who've just thrown in the towel. And then there are some people that I know who've given up on God. They've given up on their faith. Life is tough. Would you agree? Life is tough. Man, I mean, it's bigger than any of us. And I'm guessing that possibly for some of us here today, it's become dangerously tough. And you're here this morning, or you're online, you're watching online, and you're on the brink of tossing in the towel on something very important in your life. And if that's you, I've got a message for you this morning. Don't do it. There's a way to keep going. That's exactly what I want to talk to you about this morning. In fact, the Holy Spirit prompted the writer. We don't know who the writer was. Some think it was Paul. But the Holy Spirit prompted the writer of what we know as the book of Hebrews, or the letter of Hebrews, to write in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, these words. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured with such opposition from sinful man, so that you will not grow weary, and here it is, lose 
in this short passage, we're going to look at just four reminders that I believe will help us keep going no matter how tough life gets. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the God who not only cares, but the God who empowers, the God who forgives, the God who counsels, the God who teaches, the God who renews, the God who gives second, third, fourth, and fifth chances. Lord, thank you for being here this morning. We don't even have to ask you to be here because you said you'd never leave us or forsake us. You said that where two or three are gathered together in your name, there you are. So God, we welcome you this morning. And Lord, we ask that you would move upon our hearts our minds, and our lives. And may what we hear this morning, may we hear it, combine it with faith, and then practice it and apply it to our lives. I pray especially for those, Father, who are here, and they're thinking about tossing in the towel. They came in here this morning thinking, if I don't hear from God, that's it. Oh, God. Lord, would you especially reach out to them and help them through this message, God, know that they can keep going no matter how tough it is. And all this we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. Well, according to Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 3, the first thing that we need to keep in mind when the going gets tough is this. You're not alone. You're not alone. Others have and are facing the very same thing that you're going through right now. I mean, isn't it kind of typical to think, man, I'm the only one that's ever gone through this. I'm the only one where life has, has given me this set of circumstances, and man, it is tough. No one knows the misery that I'm going through, you know? There used to be an old show called Hee Haw. How many of you are old enough to remember Hee Haw, all right? If you got your phones, go ahead and Google it. Hee haw. I mean, it just, they had a song on there called Gloom, Despair, Agony on Me. You know, if it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck. I mean, have you ever been there? Have you ever felt like that? How many of you just know someone who's felt like that? All right. You know what I'm saying? Life gets tough. But the first thing that the writer of Hebrews tells us and reminds us is you're not alone, you're not the first to go through what you're going through right now. Notice, if you will, verse 1, it says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now, when it comes to the scriptures, I know one of my Bible college professors um, would tell us, she, she would say, now, class, um, in fact, this Bible college professor, I found out later that she, like, hung out with Ruth and Billy Graham. I mean, she was awesome. And you know, later I found out how awesome. I mean, Ruth and Billy Graham, that, that would just be cool to hang out with them. I mean, that's just real close to Jesus there. And she would always tell, she would say, Class, whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, you need to understand what it is therefore. Very good. Man, you guys are on it this morning. And so the therefore in this particular passage where he says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, the therefore in this case is referring to chapter 11 of Hebrews. And if, if you're a veteran reader of the scriptures, or maybe you're just starting out, chapter 11 is one of the greatest chapters in the entire Bible, Hebrews 11. Because the writer talks about the heroes of the faith. 
I like to call it kind of because I'm a baseball fan, I like to call it the hall of faith. All those people who have gone on before us, who've lived life in dire and difficult circumstances, and yet somehow made it through and kept going when the going got tough. People like Abel, Enoch, Enoch. What, I mean, the, the only person that, that I, I think maybe one of two people in the Bible where it says Enoch walked with God and God just took him. He did not experience death. God just took him. I mean, um, we'll preach on this maybe another time when John gets desperate again. But to think that this guy walked so close with God that God just says, now, you're, you're just coming up with me. That would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? You know? I'd love to tell you that that's what my walk is, but I don't think it's even close. Enoch, Abel, Noah. Man, just think about the times. In, in fact, I think we're living kind of in, in the times of Noah now. Jesus said that in the last days that it'll be like it was in the days of Noah. People were marrying and being given in marriage. and um, I, I think we're living in, in those last days now. Noah, the ridicule that that man faced, he worked with God, he waited on God, and he walked with God. People like Abraham and Sarah. I, I love Abraham and Sarah because, man, God called them to a place, and they, they took off, and they didn't even know where they're going. <laughs> Sounds like my life, man. Well, I don't know where we're going, but we'll see when we get there, right? Isaac, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, the prostitute. Just to name a few, they're all a part of what the writer calls these great cloud of witnesses since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now, there are some people, they've actually asked me this question, and they want to know. So, if, if the Bible says that we're surrounded by these great cloud of witnesses, and these are all people who have died and have, and have gone on to be with, with, with the Lord, they're saying, so could it be that these people are watching over us. Have you ever thought about that? Man, if that's the case, that really creeps me out, okay? I mean, seriously. You can laugh. That was supposed to be funny. So, okay, next time I use this pendulum. Uh, I mean, that would really creep me out. There, I don't want, you know, dead people who have gone on to be watching over me all the time. <laughs> I don't think that's what this passage means. I think what the writer is, is trying to give us and trying to tell us is that, look, these people's lives are a witness that whatever you're going through, I'm telling you, they've gone through it before. And they had a secret weapon in their arsenal to handle anything and everything that came their way. And these were imperfect, weak, and yes, even sinful people who found a way to keep going. And what was their secret weapon? It was simply this faith faith belief not not faith in faith you know some people uh, have faith in faith well I believe that I believe <laughs> faith is only as good as, as its object right isn't it these people's faith were in the Lord their God our faith as as followers of Christ and as Christians when we preach the gospel, our faith is only as good as its object. And what's the object of our faith? Religion, right? No. 
church, right? No. Other people, pastors. If we just put our faith in pastors and we just live vicariously through them, everything will be okay. How many of you know that when we put our faith in people, we're going to get let down, right? How many of you have ever experienced, anybody been let down by somebody before? Come on, let's see the hands. Yes, I bless you, I see that hand, I see it. Come on over here. Anybody been let down before? Man, I wish I was living your life, I'll tell you that right now. Hey, it's just us this morning, we're, we're good, right? Our faith is in the person and work and word of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We believe that he is the Son of God, that he has existed, that he created all things. He spoke the word, and this world came into being. He created everything that is. When man fell, he stepped down from heaven at just the right time, was born of a virgin Mary, lived a perfect life, a sinless perfect life, for approximately 33 years, was crucified, killed, put in a tomb, and for three days, his body was dead. But on the third day, he rose from the dead. And then he walked this earth for 40 more days in this, in this glorified form. It was really cool. I mean, he could just kind of like walk in and out of, of, of doors. I mean, he had no limitations. And then... He ascended into heaven, and when he did, he sent the Holy Spirit to all those who believed in him and had faith in, them, in him. Folks, that is what our faith rests on. And that's what these people in Hebrews chapter 11, that was their secret weapon, their belief and their faith in Jesus Christ. I love what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 11. This is what they believed. In Hebrews 11:6, it says, without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. And here it is, he rewards those who diligently seek him. Do you believe that? Boy, I've had times where I've struggled with that. I'm like, God, I'm believing the best I can and it doesn't seem like you're rewarding me for it. But he does, and he wills. Will. And not always in the way that we think, not always in the way that we want him to. The Bible is not an Aladdin's lamp that we can just kind of rub or, or quote and somehow things will magically appear. It is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what these people had. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, when the going gets tough, just like it did for these people, you must believe. Because our faith is going to be tested. It's going to be tried. This world will try to erode it. Just the weight and gravity of life will try to push it down. But the writer of Hebrews wants to remind us, first and foremost, look, whatever you're going through, you can count on this. Someone has gone through it before you, and by, the, by their faith in God and by the grace of God, they made it. They kept going. In fact, Peter would say later, he'd say, look, everything that you're going through, the sufferings that you're going through right now, the tough times, 
there are other people going through the same thing. Now, it's not that misery loves company, although I think that's probably true. <laughs> you, ever, you ever been going through a difficult time and you find somebody else who's going through the same thing? It's like, oh, good, somebody else knows what I'm going through. I think there's something to that. And we comfort one another as our faith is being tested and we help one another and we encourage one another. When we started Sunlight Community Church, some of you may not know that I was the guy who was the first pastor at Sunlight Community Church back in 1927, was it? It's like, yeah, something, something like Anyway, yeah, when we first started, and you know what our motto was? We want to build people up instead of beating people up. That's what God does. He encourages us. And so the writer of Hebrews, the Holy Spirit, prompts the writer to say, look, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Whatever you're going through, somebody's already gone through it, and they kept going, and so can you. There's another way that the writer of Hebrews reminds us that we can keep going, and it's found in the second verse, or it's found in kind of the second part of the first verse, when he says, not only are we surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, but he says, therefore, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. In other words, when the going gets tough, we need to lighten our load. We need to lighten our load. Now, let me ask you a question, another question this morning. What load are you bearing right now? What load are you bearing? What is so heavy in your life right now that it's just, I mean, it feels just like a weight that's just overwhelming? What is it? Keep that in mind or write it down. What load are you bearing that is, that is seemingly holding you back or weighing you down and it's hindering you from running the race of faith that God has called you to. It may not even be sin. It's just a load, and it's overwhelming. Man, I've been there, and I'll be there again, I have no doubt. Some people think that the Christian life, man, you should never have problems. Boy, that's not been my experience. <laughs> In fact, I was even told after I received Christ as, as a 16-year-old that, you know, um, there will come a time when you'll no longer want to sin anymore. Wow. I'm still trying to get there, folks, you know. <laughs> what load, what is weighing you down right now? Write it down or keep it in mind. Here's what God wants you to do with that weight. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said this. He says, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I'll make your life miserable. No, he doesn't say that, does he? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, weighed down, and I will give you rest. Man, some of us, the most spiritual thing that we could do is just rest. Not right now. Don't close your eyes and go to sleep on me, okay? Just, you, you, you can rest, okay? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now listen to that same message, that same passage in the message version. 
Are you tired? <laughs> Are you worn out? Burnout on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Oh, doesn't that sound appealing to you? Because some of my experience has been just the opposite. Church gets really heavy at times. All the things that we're supposed to do and all the things we're not supposed to do. I mean, the church I went to, admittedly, when, when I first received Christ, I mean, their motto was, don't cuss or chew, don't smoke, cuss, drink or chew, or go with girls who do. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think that was, that was the motto. Boy, religion can be so heavy. But Christ calls us to a relationship. And whatever it is in your life, whatever load has weight, weighted you down right now, Jesus says, I want it. Peter said it this way, 1 Peter 5, he says, cast all your cares, cast all your, own, your anxieties on him. Literally, throw them on him. Why? Because he cares. He cares for you. Remember when the disciples were in the boat and, and the wind and the waves started to, to get so bad that the boat began to sink? And Jesus was in the stern, and, and they go over, and he was asleep. And they wake him up, and they said, Lord, don't you care? <laughs> Whew, man, I've been there. God, don't you care? Maybe you're there right now. I want to tell you something. He does care. He does care. He cared enough to die for you, and now he cares enough to live for you and to give you his spirit. He cares enough to help you. But you need to cast that load on him. You need to give it to him. Not only that, but the writer of Hebrews says, to lighten your load, you need to, you need to throw this, this burden on the Lord, cast it off. But notice the second thing he says. And this is the second question. What reoccurring sin is tripping you up from being more effective in your faith and running this race of faith. Because here's the reality. Every one of us have a recurring sin. Every one of us. And you're thinking, <gasps> it's true. It's true. Man, I mean, we try to act like it, you know, we just like, hey, fake it till you make it. But every one of us have things in our life that are really tempting to us. The enemy knows it, and he keeps trying to lay a trap for us over and over again. I don't know that the devil's all that intelligent. He's just been around for a long time. And he knows how to trip us up. In fact, that's exactly what temptation is. It's, it's a trap that he sets, that, that he hopes we'll fall into. And guess what? We do sometimes. What do you do? He says... 
the, the writer of Hebrews says, throw off everything that hinders, this weight that hinders, and the sin that so easily entangles. I happen to really like the, the old King James Version on this. He says, he talks about the sin that so easily besets us. That word beset that, that the, the King James writers translated it in, uh, translated it to, the, the word here literally means to be ensnared. Folks, we have an enemy, and it's not your mother-in-law, okay? <laughs> it, it's not other people. There is a real devil. There are real demonic hordes out there that are, if, if, if God would open our eyes and we could see the spiritual dynamic of, of this earth and what's going on, it would probably scare us just a little bit. They are at work constantly trying to ensnare us and to trip us up. And I don't know about you, but I, there are days when I think every demon in hell has me in their portfolio. I mean, and at least one time a year, there is a, every demon says, let's mess with J-Day. You know, you, you have those? Yeah. You're not alone. Let me ask you again. What is the sin that so easily entangles you and ensnares you that you just struggle with? You promise, oh, God, please forgive me, and you go back to it. The writer of Hebrews says, if you want to lighten your load, here's not only do you, do you need to, to cast your anxiety and cast your cares and cast the weight and the load that you have on you, but here's what you need to do. Here's what God wants you to do with that reoccurring sin. He wants you to hide. And if it's a really bad sin, he wants you to feel bad for a really long time. If it's not such a bad sin, you've got to feel bad for at least a week. Now, I'm just messing with you. You know that's not true. Here's what the scriptures say. Jesus says this, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. That's a promise. God knows. He knows it all. And guess what? He still loves you. He's not surprised. Man, I am at times. I'm surprised by my own propensity to sin, but he's not. In fact, John says this, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he writes this. If we confess our sins, in other words, we say the same thing as God about our attitudes, our actions, our behavior. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that great? God says that reoccurring sin, confess it. Don't run from me because of your sin. Run to me. I can cleanse it. I can purify it. I can give you power over that. And I can help you conquer it. I can set you free. But you have to be willing to lighten the load and give it to me. I died for it. I paid for it. Not only for the forgiveness, but for the power over it. Keep going. Don't let it entangle you. Don't let it stop you. You know, the, the evil one says, hey, you know, you, 
You really messed up. God can't use you anymore. In fact, he's not even going to listen to you anymore. Why even bother? Those are lies. Cast it on the Lord. Friends, we can keep going no matter how tough it gets. Others have shown us the power of faith. Jesus wants to help lighten our load. And there's a third way that the writer of Hebrews reminds us that we can keep going. And that's to remember to pace ourselves. Look at what he says in the last part of verse 1. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Oh, man. Let us run with perseverance. The, the, the word there is also translated in, in several parts of the New Testament as endurance. Let's run with endurance the race marked out for us, this race of faith. Let's run. It's also uh, translated patience. Boy, if there was one word I could take out of the Bible, I'd probably be the one. Patience, you know? I mean, but I can't. So it's still there. I have to face it every day. One of my reoccurring sins, okay? Uh, let us run with perseverance. Now, back in the day, all right? Back in the day, in like, I, now they call it middle school or something else. Back in the day, they called it junior high. Did anybody, how many of you went to junior high? Anybody here? All right, bless you. Um, I actually went to both junior high and middle school. I don't know. I didn't go like, you know, like years and years and years, but um, they called it both. But back in the day when they called it junior high, we had, we had this first track meet. It's the first time I can ever remember running in a competitive race. And something told me, you know what? I should run. We called it back then. We called it the mile. Now you call it 1,600 meters, right? But back then I thought, I'm going to run the mile. And so the day came. The race started. We're, we're at, the, at the starting line. And... Uh, the, the starter shot his gun, and it was a real gun, okay? <laughs> I don't know if it was blanks or not, but I grew up in a place where, yeah, they had a lot of those things. And so the gun sounds, and the mile starts, and, and basically it was four times around the track, right? Anybody run the mile? You, you know what I'm talking about. And there I was. Man, I took off like it was no one's business. And that first lap, I mean... I was so far ahead of everyone by the time I, I, I passed the, the starting place. I mean, it was just wonderful. In fact, Jill Russell was standing. She was cheerleader, the cutest girl in the whole school. And she literally said this. Before it became, before Jenny made it famous and said, for, said it to Forrest, Jill Russell said it to me, okay? I should probably have some litigation on that but anyway that, that's another story when I ran past that that first lap she says run Jay run oh my goodness do you know what that does to a little junior high 12 year old oh man I ran that second lap and I'm telling you I had grandeur visions in in my mind of you know, I can't wait until I cross that finish line and get the blue ribbon, have my arm around Jill, get my first kiss, and it's all going to be in the paper. It's going to be glorious. I ran the second lap, and I mean, I was just, I was so far. I, I think I almost lapped someone because I was running so fast. I'm thinking, this, this is not bad, you know? And then the third lap began. 
something strange begin to occur in my body. My mind said, keep running, legs, keep running. But I kind of felt like the cartoon. If you guys, I'm going to really age myself here. The Wiley Coyote, anybody, you know, Roadrunner, where he just kind of spun and spun and spun, but he didn't go anywhere. That's how it felt. And then I, I somehow made it past that third lap, but, but, man, people were starting to catch up. And by the time the fourth lap began, I mean to tell you, it's, it's just almost like the Riddler or, or the Joker or, or one of Batman's fiendish um, uh, enemies like shot me with a, a, a phaser or something and slowed me down because I'm telling you, I came to almost a complete stop. And one by one, every one of my competitors passed me. And it was all I could do to just walk to the finish line. And there was Jill putting her arm around Dave Bowers instead of me. Oh, you talk about humiliation, right? I think sometimes I've tried to live my Christian life that way. I've just, I've, I've kind of treated the Christian life like it's a sprint, like all in, all or nothing. It doesn't work real well. This life that we're called to, this race that, that God has called us to run and the lane that he's called us to run in, it's a marathon. And we need to pace ourselves. We're in it for the long haul. God's in it for the long haul with us. And, and see, here's the thing with God. This is the cool thing. You may not finish first, but God, what he cares about is as long as you finish. There was another race that took place back in 1968. There's a man by the name of John Stephen Aquari who was running the marathon over 26 miles. He was from Tanzania, and as the race began, they began to run, and I can't remember what mile it was, but there was about 18 different people who kind of got in, in, in a congested uh, difficulty, and several of them fell, and among them was, was John Stephen. He fell and he injured himself. In fact, he dislocated his knee. He broke a shoulder bone, and people were thinking, well, it's over for him, obviously. In fact, 17 others, or 17 or 18 others, they were out of the race because they were injured. But for some reason, he got up, and they attended to him medically and took, tried to take care of the knee as best they could, and they were getting ready to, to kind of cart him off and take him off, and he says, no, 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 no. He says, I'm going to continue, and they're like, you, you can't continue if, if you Google it, and in fact, there's still videos of it. Um, don't do it right now unless you're really bored with this. Um, but he continues the race, and, and an hour and, and like one hour after the race was over, one hour later in Mexico City, here came John Stephen Aquari. His leg was heavily bandaged by now, kind of it was flapping in the wind, blood was coming down, and, and, and people were just stunned. It's like, who, wait a minute, who is this guy? And he practically limps across the finish line. And reporters just, you know, kind of mob him. And they're like, 
Why didn't you quit? Why, why, why did you keep going? What is the deal? I mean, you, you knew you weren't going to win. And he said, you know, my country, Tanzania, did not send me 5,000 miles to start this race. They sent me here to finish it. God did not create you just to give you a start. God did not come into your life. Christ didn't come into your life just to make it difficult. He wants you to finish your race. And here's the beauty of it. Uh, one of my favorite passages out of my favorite book in the whole Bible, Philippians 1.6, says this. God who started this work in you, he will finish it. He will complete it. And sometimes even in spite of us, some of us are just way too hard on ourselves. And we just think we got to go, go, go. We just think we got to do religious things all the time. No, no. We need to pace ourselves and be in it for the long haul. This is a race of faith, friends. And I love what Paul says. There's going to come a day when every one of us, I, I checked before, before this morning, before um, I, I got here, I checked on the internet. And the mortality rate in this area, in Steuben County, is hovering still right around 100%. Did you know that? There's going to come a day when, like Paul, we're going to breathe our last. And God wants you to be able to say, you know, I've run the race and I've finished the course. And now there's laid up for me a crown that God gives to everyone who believes. And then your next breath is going to be on the other side in heaven, friends. You need to learn to pace yourself. Well, last but not least, the writer of Hebrews tells us that, first of all, you need to know that others kept going and so can you. You need to throw off the things in your life, the, the, the weight and the sin that stops you in your tracks. Throw them onto God. You need to pace yourself. But last, last and not least, he says this, you need to focus. You need to focus. Notice what he says. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author. He began your faith and the finisher of your faith. He'll finish it. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and set down at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We need to keep focus. It's so easy to get out of focus, isn't it? In the world that we live in, the messages that we're bombarded with on a constant basis, on our phones, on our tablets, on our monitors, everywhere. This world, and, and when, when, when John says, do not love the world, you know what he's talking about? He says, the world that says you don't need God. You don't need Christ. This world is chipping away, chipping away, and chipping away, and trying to erode our faith. We need to keep focused. We need to keep our eyes on Christ. How do you do that? Man, I'm so glad you asked. That's a great question. Best question you've asked all morning. I would say 
It's right here. God's Word. I happen to have a bias. I believe that God's Word that, that He's given us, that every word people were moved upon by the Holy Spirit and what they wrote are the very words of God. It's His message. It's His manual for our life, our faith, and its practice. And spending time in that Word and reading His Word and letting it become a part of us is spending time with Christ. He will speak to us through His Word. That's how we keep our eyes on Him, who He is, what He's done, and what He wants to do through us. And I'll close with this. I'm reminded of the story in Matthew chapter 14. Jesus has, has just performed a miracle. He's fed the multitudes. He's fed the thousands. In fact, some scholars believe it could have been between fifteen and 20,000 people with just a few loaves and some fish. And he's tired. And so he sends the disciples out in the boat, and, and he's going to walk somewhere else. And as the disciples are out in the boat, Jesus decides to walk on the water. You know, take a shortcut, right? <laughs> and the disciples see him, and they think it's a ghost. <laughs> and they're afraid. And Jesus says, hey, take courage. It's me. Don't be afraid. It's me. And Peter, oh, impetuous Peter, what does he do? Lord, if it's you, then tell me to come out with you. Don't ever challenge God. <laughs> Jesus says, come. And if you've ever read the story, you know what happens. Peter gets out of the boat, which is a good thing. If you want to walk on water, you got to get out of the boat, right? Peter gets out of the boat, and he's walking towards Jesus. I mean, this is amazing. All of a sudden, the wind and the waves start to just, I mean, overtaking. He takes his eyes off of Jesus, and he looks at the wind and the waves. And you know what happened? He started to sink. He started to go down. Whew. You ever been there? You ever done that? You ever just like, man, I'm going under. This is it. <laughs> he had the smarts and the wisdom to cry out to God, to cry out to Jesus and said, Lord, save me. And what did Jesus do? He kept him under for a little bit to teach him a lesson, didn't he? No, he didn't. Jesus reaches out his hand and he picks him up. And they, apparently they walk back on water into the boat. <laughs> I mean, this is what, what a, it's just amazing. And Jesus looks at Peter. Some scholars think this was a very stern admonition to him and, and condemnation. Peter looks at him, or Jesus looks at Peter and says, why did you doubt? Oh, you of little faith. Honestly, I think Jesus is smiling. I think Jesus thinks this is, this is kind of funny. And he looks at Peter and he says, Why did you doubt? Oh, you of little faith. It's me. Just fed the multitudes. When you start sinking, I can save you.
So this morning, wherever you're at, whatever's going on in your life, that's what I want to leave you with. If you are willing to cry out to him, whatever's, man, you just think you have no idea. I don't, but you know what? He does. He can and he will save you. Whatever circumstances are so overwhelming this morning, I want to ask you before you leave, just fix your eyes on Jesus. Would you do that right now? Just close your eyes and cry out to him. In your heart, maybe just under your breath. Oh God, I'm going under. I'm sinking and please save me. I can't tell you how many times I've prayed that prayer, God, just save me. Deliver me, God. Deliver me from myself. Deliver me from sin. Deliver me from satanic traps and schemes in this life. Oh God, I'm reaching out. God, save me. And his answer is the same to you and I as it was to Peter. He's reaching out right now, and he's saying, I got you. I got you. And he lifts us back up. Father, that's my prayer this morning, is that we'll keep going. Why? Because, Lord, you've helped others keep going, and you can help us. Because you care, and you're willing to take on the weight in the sin that so easily weighs us down and ensnares us. That you can empower us and give us the ability to persevere and endure. And that, Lord, when we keep our eyes on you and when we focus on you, you are the lifter of our souls. In Jesus' name.